0: It's the Advent season. You're hearing a lot about that, especially this morning because it's our first Sunday of Advent. If you would like to join us in a reading plan, it's 21 days, I believe it is. And uh, you can just literally um, get your phone out and you can take yourself right to that reading plan and join. And it's a great thing to do as a community. We're all reading together and you can chime in and share comments along the way. And it's a good thing to do. We really take it seriously about inviting people to uh, keep their nose in the good book, is what we have said. And so if the Advent season or the Lent season helps us with that, we do that together as a community, then it is a, a good thing. If you happen to see a kangaroo in Oshawa, make sure you phone the authorities um, <laughs> while I'm doing announcements, um, just in case. We're on the map, aren't we? Oshawa is on the map. Uh, little did we ever, little did we know, pardon me? It's about, it's about time that Oshawa be on the map and get a kangaroo right here, <laughs> roaming loose in the city square. Uh, on a serious note, we should pray that that little, uh, little kangaroo finds uh, help, right? Because it uh, must, be, must be pretty frightened out there, I would think. I don't know what it's like to be a kangaroo wandering around the streets of Oshawa, but I'm sure it's, <laughs> I'm sure it's no fun, but anyway. Keep an eye on your dogs, too, uh, just to make sure. I'm sure they're cute, but I think they can uh, deal a fierce blow, apparently. So, um, Anyway, today we're starting a new series of Scripture Talks. Um, it's um, Character Adventures. I borrowed Pastor Al's witty way of uh, describing Advent from our, um, from our uh, lift night on Sunday night. But Character Adventures. We're going to talk about some character themes that show up in the Christmas narrative And we're going to talk about how the four-part movement of Advent is a remedy for each of the uh, character conversations we'll have together. And uh, so for today, we're going to talk about Herod's hate, and uh, very timely, actually. We're living in a, um, like a hate-saturated world. At this time in history, for all sorts of reasons that we don't have time to explore today, there is a lot of hatred on the horizon, and it's been in play politically and socially and... um, There are are a lot of dynamics that cause our world to be very polarized, and hate, uh, which is an unfortunate experience, is far too common. And um, so we're going to explore today um, this idea of what it means for us to um, fight the hatred in our own heart. Uh, When we talk about hate, it's easy for us to just sort of talk about those people who do all that hating. And I think uh, the way of wisdom is for us to step back, slow down, and take a good, responsible look inside about the ways that hate might be alive and well in our own hearts. And uh, sometimes, as sophisticated 21st century Western adults, we might have creative ways of hiding or um, kind of uh, not necessarily fully disclosing the hate in our hearts, but we, we have it lurking there as well. Hate is a human problem. And people of faith are humans, and we may justify our strong feelings about something, and at the same time, we might be overstepping a boundary marker that God has established for us. And so, um, hatred hurts people, and it hates the one doing the hating as well. It, it hurts us all. We, we all lose in the end when we allow hatred to find a home in our own hearts. And... Um, Hate is a, an interesting conversation because there is an aspect to hate that is, um, Scripture uh, affirms a certain kind of hate, and then it also invites us to banish it in another way. And so what we're going to focus on today is more of the destructive experience of hatred and, and how it can hurt, uh, hurt ourselves and hurt other people. So um, if you're able, would you stand with me? And we are going to recite our passage to ponder Uh, which will serve us during the four weeks of Advent. And it's a wonderful passage that gets recited many times during this time of the year. But John chapter 1, first five verses and then verse 14. So if you would recite this aloud so that uh, your neighbor can hear you. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of the Lord for us this morning. You may be seated. If you're new to the Bible or new to faith, new to church, uh, this passage is a powerful one where John, who is a friend of Jesus, um, he writes about um, the incarnation and how in the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was with God, the Word was God, and then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If the church is anything, it's a community of people that meet and do life together around that very important proposition that Jesus the Christ the God man has come to be the savior of the world if you've seen Jesus you've seen the father the one true god reveals himself to us in Christ that is central to what we believe to be true and and so at christmas the reason why we celebrate this season is because We believe, and there's really good social science around this, it's good for us, um, rhythm and uh, practices that are built into the uh, experience of our lives that become repeated uh, and meaningful repetition is really good for us. And so we have, as a culture, blocked December December 25th, as Christmas Day, but we all know in this space today that uh, there isn't one day that we all know that Jesus was born, but it's an important rhythm in our lives where we uh, choose to remember, right? Just like Thanksgiving, it's important to put a date on the calendar so that we can put an exclamation mark behind a very important practice. Well, if the church ever lose, loses sight of the incarnation, it loses sight of what is central, And so that's why this time of the year in December is very important for us to remember and put an exclamation mark around a very important proposition that Jesus, the God-man, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So today, again, we're starting this series, and uh, we're gonna focus on um, the remedy for hate, which happens to be love. But as I've already mentioned, hate is a, a a human problem. And there are two sides to it. Um, We can hate what is evil, and that's a good thing. Um, Or we can hate as an end in itself as like a defense mechanism because there's either a values collision or there's some sort of um, disdain or hurt, uh, some sort of wound that's in our own hearts or some sort of perceived threat about what might be coming next. And then we begin to turn our emotional attention towards something. But it's not a good practice. It's a destructive practice. And unfortunately in our world, whether it's um, a slightly different skin tone or whether it is a political ideology or whether it is a sexual orientation, uh, there can be a hatred toward people that is incredibly destructive. We hear in different parts of the world in fact, somebody sent me something earlier today about uh, a part of our world where people are literally persecuted and imprisoned and sometimes lose their lives if they have a sexual orientation. That's um, in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, you imagine living in that kind of a world where people would be killed for that? Uh, there's a hatred that gets adopted by governments, political systems. And um, so for for us as the Christian community, what does it mean for us to be people who banish and push back against destructive hate? Not that we um, are hating evil, but that we're actually hating in a way that is evil. And that's problematic. And so that's what I want us to talk about this morning. And um, just in case we wonder if this was the way the early church functioned, John, who was a good friend of Jesus, he wrote, and he said these words, because hate was alive and well in the first century church. He said, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother is a liar. There's no qualifier there. He just says, there's no place for hating a brother or a sister in the kingdom of God. And I remember speaking with a young adult once who had been through some tremendous pain at the hands of those who identified as Christians. And she said to me, "Um, there's... There's no hate like a Christian's love. That was the first time I ever heard that. And I thought, how sad for this young adult to articulate it so clearly and so personally from a place of wound. There's no hate like a Christian's love. Isn't that something that those of us who identify with Jesus today should try to push against and banish? You see, this is the the difference, if I could bring a picture to you, of what we want to try to um, avoid and walk the line of. I think it's important that we hate sin, first of all, sin in us, and sin that's destroying the world. And so, for example, there could be all sorts of sins that come to mind that really strike a chord in our hearts that evoke a strong emotion that might even lead us towards hating that practice. Um, There can be some health around it, as long as it doesn't become so enmeshed in the human person who's doing the sinning that we hate the person. This is why Christians who bomb abortion clinics don't represent Jesus well, right? Or who hold up signs that say God hates a certain community of people. Do you see how problematic that is? So, this is where I hope there is a greater level of emotional and spiritual maturity that's coming into the kingdom of God, where we actually become more spirit led so we can be more emotionally regulated. And so that we can hold some value and some strong conviction without being destructive about it. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can do that, can't we? If you gather for worship with us today and you expect me to give you a five-point, here's how this all happens, I can describe it, the edges of it, and I can kind of hopefully explore Scripture with you and say, here's some thoughts for us to apply into our lives. But this is something that really requires the nuance of the Holy Spirit. And so when we say, Holy Spirit, come, we invite him to come and give us the capacity to do the things that we cannot do on our own. Hold a strong conviction and value around something that we believe is destructive for the world without sharing and participating in the destruction by bearing the hate of the world personally so it infects us as well. And so Lord Jesus, please help us with this. There's no hate like a Christian's love. Lord, have mercy on us. All right, I've got three thoughts for us this morning. And the first one is this. Let's just talk about explaining um, hate and the experience of it. So in Hebrew, again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I get to spend time with people, as you do too, if we do the research, with people who are smarter than us. Uh, Literally in Hebrew, the word hate can mean this, strong aversion or hostility towards someone or something. Strong aversion or hostility. So it can be direct or indirect. It can take the form of action toward a person or inaction that leaves the person outside the circle. So if it's water cooler conversation at the workplace, it can be talking literally against someone or talking to that person in a way that's very harmful and destructive. We've heard all the racial tones that can be said against certain communities and it can move all over the place within racial dynamics. Um, Or it can be just leaving them out of the water cooler conversation. And it can take the form of hate. Now, I guess I need to say this as well. Those of us in the Christian community can be on the receiving end of hate. Maybe you've experienced that. Where people in our relational circle who don't understand our devotion to Jesus, they look at us. Hopefully we haven't behaved in a way that's been well-deserving of that kind of treatment. But you can live well, follow Jesus closely, and be on the receiving end of hatred because people just don't like the spirit that's at work in us and the narrow way of the gospel that we've chosen to align our lives and order our lives around. And so hate can move toward us and then how we respond to that hate really, really matters a lot. We never return in kind. That's not who we are. When we receive hatred, we respond with love and kindness. We don't say, oh yeah, well you know what I think of you. That's not who we are as Jesus following people. We never ever return in kind. And so it's strong aversion of or hostility towards someone or something. And, and hate can come with really, really strong emotions that lead us toward either excluding someone or some various form of self-justified or actions taken against someone. Uh, maybe you saw the news recently. It's troubling to me. You don't have to it seems like it's on a daily experience. Um, the, lady, uh, the lady's name is Heather Reisman. Does that name ring any bells for you? She's the CEO of Indigo Books. Does that ring any bells? Happens to be Jewish. She was a target of what the police have called a hate crime, or at least investigating it as a possible hate crime. Posters were applied to the glass doors of the Indigo, and red paint was splashed on the glass windows. Eleven people have been charged with mischief over $5,000, including three York University employees, a professor, a researcher, and a staff member. Indigo and Heather Reisman specifically were targeted because she's Jewish. They said that's not why they did it, but it's pretty hard to put some daylight between what they did and her Jewish roots. She started a foundation in Israel that provides scholarships to, Israel, to Israelis who have no family and have served to defend their country in the military. And some people who have a very different view of what's happening in the world right now have said that Indigo, and specifically that CEO, should be targeted. I don't know how you can't connect that act to her Jewish roots. It's not just synagogues and Jewish CEOs. There are mosques, that end up getting defaced. There are Muslim people who end up, there were some Palestinians in in the United States, three of them, I believe, that were shot recently. Like, what is that? It doesn't matter if you're Arab, Muslim, Jewish, Israeli, or Christian. Why would we do that to one another? It's just all morally unacceptable. It's not who we are. It's not who we were made to be. And so, when we are emotionally unregulated and spiritually dwarfed, we participate in behaviors like that. From this pulpit at King Street Community Church, it may come across as a protest movement, and it may come across with some sort of social sophistication around it, but it's destructive and it's immoral, and it's wrong. So, hate is, we've probably experienced it, and maybe, unfortunately, it's been alive and well in our own hearts and and been expressed in our own experience of life. Love and acceptance are the antithesis of hatred, and this is why the gospel is so powerful. Um, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs the writer of the proverb says, hatred is problematic, love is the remedy. I love that. Now, here's where it becomes challenging for us, and this is why I love Scripture. Um, it creates some inner angst for me, because sometimes when you wrestle with a passage, it's not easy to come to terms with what it means, and I think it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to create in us some tension, that we sit with it and we try to work it out and we say well how does this show up in my life and what is the writer really trying to say and it's not just reading it at surface level we kind of sit with it allow the text to sit with us but here's one that's challenging Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 8 there is a time to love and there is a time to hate I thought hate was a bad thing Pastor Dave well it depends what we're hating and it depends how we're hating But according to the text, it says, there is a time to love and there is a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. These are challenging passages. This passage in particular is like, am I hating well? (laughs) I, I don't think what went on at Indigo is hating well. I don't think what happens when people are defacing a mosque and shooting Palestinians in the United States is hating well. But if there is an evil at work in the world in some way that is creating destruction. I know this is the challenge of being humans. These people who go off and do these destructive acts, they have an argument that long of why they think they should do what they're doing, but they're participating in destructive forms of, of, of hate. They're continuing it. The methods are wrong. Shooting people and dis, disfacing a, a, um, a glass window and, and going after a, a Jewish CEO is unacceptable, And so, what does it mean for us to hate well? I think when we feel something so strongly because there's a destructive force at work in the world, we should feel that and it should disturb us in some way. And then we go to Jesus with the feelings, the strong emotions. We ask him to help us to process it so that we can respond in ways that are self-regulated and spiritually mature. And if we do that, then we become part of the solution. We don't become someone who adds more fuel to the fire Right? We have enough fuel on the fire right now. We don't need more fuel on the fire. Louder isn't always right and louder doesn't always solve problems. In fact, sometimes it just it just exo- uh, what's the word for it? It makes them even worse, right? Thank you. It exacerbates them. You can finish my sentences for me. <laughs> it really does. So it's important that we're aware of what we think and what we feel and so that the Holy Spirit can guide us in our thinking and feeling. See, when we go on autopilot, and we just think and feel, but we're not thinking about what we're thinking, and we're not thinking about what we're feeling, and we just go there instinctively, it's our default to take us somewhere. The odds of us getting it wrong go way up. So slowing down the pace. I wonder if this is part of our problem. When we live life at breakneck speeds, and we're getting information overload, which is the case, right, the world we're living in right now, we're just reacting. We're not thoughtfully, prayerfully responding. So we feel something strong and we respond. We react in some way rather than sitting with it. Social media is filled with this, right? It's just like volume, louder, more, more, more. My, my, my position's right rather than sitting back with it. Emotional intelligence is described as these two things. Being able to to be internally aware of what's going on inside of us. So we're not oblivious to what's going on. We're actually paying attention to what's happening inside of us. We are aware of what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what we value. And then externally, we're also equally aware of what's going on all around us so that we can process what's going on inside and we can be aware of what's going on around us so that we can respond in ways that are helpful this is what paul writes right when he says don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful or beneficial to those who are are listening so that they might be helped this is why we speak words that are helpful to people what is it that they need to hear so here's our text for this morning it's herod let's go to herod for a moment because we're talking about the hate of herod or herod's hate uh, Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has, who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This was sincerity. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was a little concerned that there might be a new king on the horizon. And all Jerusalem with him were like, What is this? Is there a new king? Carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. A little little bit of deception going on there. I'm interested, he says, right? Sophisticated, first century. He knows enough how to say the right things to get the right result. We go down to verse 16. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. By the way, this isn't on the screen. And he gave the orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with what he had learned from the Magi. So Herod gets outwitted. He's on a mission not to worship but to destroy. He's threatened by the supposed power of this new king who may come on the horizon. So here are four quick thoughts around hate from this passage that helps us think about Uh, the hate that might be at work in our own lives. Hate thrives on perceived threat and insecurity. When we think we might lose power or privilege, we can move toward a hateful experience. Hate ferments. It grows on insider-outsider thinking. It's amazing how when we don't understand a certain group of people and we don't have relationship with them, And we don't know their names or their stories it's easy to get a big wide brush and use certain adjectives to describe them based on either how the media describes them or how a neighbor or friend has described them we make all sorts of assumptions about people there is nothing like getting to know someone that changes everything about the experience of the person people have names and stories And some of the stories that are attached to those names, if you would just listen for a little while, you would see that person and perhaps even their community very differently. This is what we need in our culture right now is more listening and less telling, more curiosity and less drawn conclusions that are uninformed and judgmental. This is quiet in here today. (laughs) Quiet's a good sign. Someone said that to me recently. They said, when it's quiet in the house, that's okay. Let it be quiet in the house sometimes. Let it settle in. I'm letting it settle into me. By the way, when I'm preaching teaching, I'm going, oh, this is good for me, Dave. This is good for me. Yep. Judgment is a nasty thing. And it's often ignorant and uninformed. And how often we all draw conclusions far too prematurely and with too much strength of conviction. Insider, outsider, thinking, you're with me, aren't you? Because if you're not with me, then I have a different view of you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hate promotes reduction and elimination. That's what's happening in this text. Herod says, all right, this is a threat to the throne. Take them out. I don't know which one it is. Just take them all out. And hate can be dressed up in deception. We see that show up in the passage where he's pretending. It's pretense. We can be polite and friendly with people and have hate in our hearts. All right, there's darkness in the house today. Yeah. (laughs) The word's getting out. Yeah. Yeah, It's okay. You can still hear me, right? No lights but sound. We'll take sound. All right. Uh, Number two, hurt. This is the human side of things, okay? When we struggle with hatred in our own hearts, let there be light, and there was some. Now there's all. Um, This is the human side of the experience, Um, and, and I even, this is important for us because when we see people who are bent on hate and destruction, there's something about us that just we don't like that, and, and we want that to change. We want to push back. We know it's not good. It's not God-approved, and so we just something comes up for us, right? If we're aligning ourselves with goodness and beauty and all the things, the ways of God, something inside of us gets kind of agitated by it, and we want to, we want to see change. But this next point that we need to talk about helps us live in a realm of compassion, People are the way they are for good reasons. As hard as it would be for me, because I don't see how somebody could go and do that, pulling up a chair with those three employees from New York University and saying, can you help me understand why you did what you did? At the end of the day, I can almost guarantee you I'm going to say, I still think that's unacceptable and destructive and wrong. But as they talk with me, I understand that there is a motivation, there's a past experience, there's reasons why people are the way they are. I don't want to put frames around people, categorize them, set them off to the side and say, you are of no use to me. You have no value in the world. These are people who've gone down a certain path, and I would consider it, from what I can see, a destructive path. But they went down there for some reason. And this might help us. This next hurt, disappointment, jealousy, and anger can contribute to destructive hate. So humans are complicated. Thoughts, emotions, behaviors, they're all interconnected. They come from core beliefs or values that we hold. And when we live an unexamined life, and we fail to pay attention to what's happening within us and around us, we fail to flourish personally, and then this emotional Um, intelligence that is largely dwarfed and spiritual immaturity becomes characteristic of who we are. And so hurt, disappointment, jealousy, anger, these emotions prompt a response in us. And it's not always a good, healthy response when we don't sit back, self-regulate, talk with God about it, and then we just act. This is is the problem. So um, Saul... In the Older Testament, we're outside the Christmas narrative now, but it's important that we go to two Older Testament narratives pretty quickly. But Saul was the first king of Israel. He had large stature, but something had gone wrong inside. And Saul had an insecurity around him like Herod had. Sometimes leaders can be insecure. He loved his positional power. And David takes down Goliath, right? He's a hero. And he's a hero in the eyes of the women of Israel, the young ladies. And so when they returned, the text tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang this beautiful song, Saul has slain his thousands. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And David, his tens of thousands. Ooh. Ooh. Pastor Dave, that's a good sermon, but Pastor Al last week, man, he knocked it out of the park. And I'm like, oh, that feels so good. Thank you for encouraging me and Al. (laughs) Right? Saul, you're a great leader. But David is a great leader. What does that do to Saul? Saul was very angry. (laughs) He's not emotionally regulated right now, is he? Spiritually immature. This refrain displeased him greatly, as the text says. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. Right? Thoughts, feelings, here come the actions. But me with only thousands, what more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye. And in Hebrew, it could be translated, watch with jealousy. He watched with jealousy, David. And we read the rest of the story. Saul was full of hatred. And it was motivated by some hurt, some jealousy, some anger. And he went to work on trying to eliminate David. There were deception. There's deception as part of this experience, but it shows up. It's a power. When you think about it, there is not much new. Well, doesn't the writer of Ecclesiastes say that? There's nothing new under the sun. What has been will be again. These human emotions that we all experience are very, very predictable. And if we can live self-aware, emotionally intelligent, and spiritually mature lives, we will be out in front of some of these things and be able to respond in a way that doesn't injure but actually helps. It might hurt, but it doesn't have to translate into more hurt onto other people. Um, so the disdain and hatred that Saul began to experience toward David was palpable, and it resulted in the effort to eliminate him. Uh, another story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Eccle- uh, the book of Esther. I love both Ecclesiastes and, and Esther. Uh, But Esther is a powerful story about how God turns the tables. And his name is not even mentioned in the whole book. God's name is not mentioned in these 10 chapters of the book of Esther. But there's a man, if you remember, named Haman. If you've been around the Bible a little while, you'll remember this. If you're new to the Bible, it's a book you might want to read. It's in the kind of the middle of the Older Testament. Haman has a hatred for the Jewish people. And it started... Well, it's got lots of historical roots. The king of Agag, and he's an Agagite, and it goes all the way back. There's a historical drama that's unfolding. But Mordecai, who happened to be Jewish, did something that Haman perceived as disrespectful. And then it translated into a movement where he tried to annihilate, talk about a genocide, tried to annihilate the Jewish people. And it's a wild story where God, who's not even named in the story, turns the tables And Haman builds a pole, an execution stake that he thinks he's building for Haman, becomes his own execution stake, and his ten sons are hanged. It is a wild, wild story of the destructive power of hate. When we actually say yes to hate and make friends with it, not only will we hurt others, but we will hurt ourselves. It's the way it works. Remember, last week we talked about that. Sin delivers its own rightful reward. It just happens. It's the laws of the universe, it's the way it works in life. And so, um, hurt, disappointment, jealousy, anger, it results in destructive hate. And here's the remedy just as we finish up our teaching this morning. The remedy for hate, as I've already mentioned, is love. Isn't it ironic that? as Jesus is born in Bethlehem, that hatred is directed toward him. And he is not just the source of love, but God is described as love. God is love. He just doesn't love. He is love. And the source of love, love itself, is targeted by hate to try to eliminate and remove and it's a really, really ironic experience, the way the human family. He came to that which was his own, and his own didn't receive him. In fact, there was parts of his own that wanted to eliminate him. Uh, don't, don't discount, by the way, the power of the spiritual dimension around hate. Whether it's um, Pharaoh trying to rub out um, young male Hebrew babies, Or whether it be Herod or whether it be Haman, hate is dark, it's human, and it's supercharged by the dark dimension of reality. And uh, I I said this before, too, that that there can be a spirit of, right, John tells us this, I'm not making it up, a spirit of antichrist that's in the world. A spirit of antichrist actually hates everything, is against everything that Jesus is against. And so if God is love, wouldn't it make sense then that hate would just be fueled by a dark force in the world? Again, I'm talking about the destructive side of hate. So let's not be oblivious. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood or against people, right? But rather against powers and unseen forces and realms that we don't measure with our five senses. And so um, hate is alive and well in the human heart, and it's fueled by all sorts of experiences and dimensions of reality. So, let's finish with this. Three important principles to help us choose love over hate. Here's the first one. Acknowledge, let's start here. Acknowledge that hate hurts our relationship with God, right? Because we cannot hate our neighbor and say, oh, but I love God. God loves your neighbor, and if we hate what he loves, we're out of step. We're out of rhythm. And so, and again, we have to be clear that love doesn't always come with all the warm fuzzies. Love is a choice primarily, I'm not sure Jesus had all the warm fuzzies on the cross when he was being crucified. But he, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. And God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The love of God was demonstrated in Christ, but it was a choice to do the will of the Father, which required a crushing that happened. So we can love while we're feeling crushed. So it doesn't always have to come with the warm fuzzies of emotion. 1 John 4, we already mentioned this. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister, which means that we will do our best to give what is best for the beloved, for the object of our love. That's what it means to love. So acknowledge that hate hurts our relationship with God. Secondly, pray the Our Father regularly. Uh, Some call it the Lord's Prayer because this is how you should pray, Jesus said. And listen to the plurality within the prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now here comes all the plurality. Give us today. Who's us? all of us. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us all from the evil one. When we pray the Our Father, we are actually including the human family in our prayers. I really do believe Jesus was speaking to the people who were crucifying him that day when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I also believe that we were all included in that prayer, Father, forgive them. How many times has Jesus offered forgiveness? I haven't known what I was doing. I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I was doing the right thing. I was doing the wrong thing. So, the Our Father is a great way of saying that person is not a monster, that person is not subhuman. The derogatory terms don't come off the lips of a Jesus-following person. We just declare the humanity of every person and the deep, conferred value of God over every human, and we just say they might have lost their way, but they're a human by, for whom Christ died. And we just keep doing it over and over and over and over again. And then the last one is this. We follow Jesus' example. Seek to understand by remaining curious and compassionate. Jesus, Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them and he understood. Uh, The etymology of the word compassion is very, very helpful for us. It actually comes from a Latin word, where the first part is compati, where we get the word com, which means together, and pati means to suffer. And so compassion is to suffer together. We offer the Our Father. We pray the prayer of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer. And we recognize, like Jesus did, that we can seek to understand not just to be understood. And then we can move with compassion toward people, recognizing that every person has a back story. And if we were to have known it, and perhaps lived it, we might be very much like them. So But for the grace of God, there goes I. But for the grace of God. Pia said this yesterday. We were chatting about, I don't remember the context entirely, but it was like, wow, we got to be born in this country. We had Christian parents. We were raised in the ways of the Lord through the life of the community of the church. I became familiar with the Bible. I even had this outrageous, P and I both did, this outrageous privilege to go study scripture and theology for four years. Man, am I ever privileged. And I see the world all around us, and they might have lost their way in so many ways. And for me to sit in judgment, but for the grace of God. So I look at, we look at the world around us and say, This is the way the world lives when the ways of Jesus are largely rejected or unknown to them. Our job is to not join them in their hate. Our job is to spread the remedy of love as far and wide as possible so that hate becomes less intense and love becomes more fueled in the world. And this is not an easy thing to do. Love is, love is rigorous. Love is hard. Love is not Hallmark greeting cards. Might include one, but it's more, so much more than that. Love demands us. It makes great demands of us. And how many times has this guy failed at love? Oh, too many to recount. And far too often the seeds of hate have germinated in my own soul. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. The world needs to see a different kind of love, right? There's no hate like a Christian's love. Let's turn the tables on that one. Let's surprise people with grace and love and peace and joy during the Advent season. Man, it could change the world. Yeah, it could change the world for sure. Jesus, thank you today that you're with us always. Thank you for your peace, your joy, the hope that comes in the gospel, and the love that is not just in you, but whom you are. You are love. God, many of us in this room have tasted your love, and it's changed every part of us. Thank you. And Lord, we have to be honest today with you that sometimes we are so far away from embodying your love in the way that it's supposed to be embodied in the world. And that's not to shame ourselves. It's just the truth but thank you that in your patience and grace and in your mercy, you, uh, you continue to walk beside us and lead us forward. So Lord, in this room today, uh, we all have tasted, I'm assuming we have tasted, been on the receiving end of the hate of others for all sorts of reasons, maybe even because of our faith. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to recognize that this is the native tongue of the world that has lost its way. But Lord, you're teaching us a new language that comes with a whole new learned vocabulary. Would you school us, God? Tutor us in your ways so that we speak with great fluency your kind of love. Lord, may we articulate it all over the place and um, help us to receive it first. And for the one who's here today who just struggles to receive that they are lovable, may the love of God come to them. May it just come like a tsunami and wash over them. And uh, may they just be infected in such a great way that it overflows and leaks out and your love is experienced through them uh, in lots of ways. And uh, we pray this in the awesome name of God who is forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.